What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada Sports Betting Podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Sons of Anarchy. It's the NBA Finals preview. Sheldon Alexander of the On Blast Podcast Network joins me to officially break down all the moving pieces of the Bucks matchup with the Suns. We'll dig into the odds for the series finals MVP and the matchups for some prospective props along the way. Then it's the Stanley Cup Final. Game 3 was a horror show for Montreal. But what does that mean for Game 4 and how we look back at what the Habs have done for betters on this wild ride? It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. Hope everyone enjoyed their patriotic weekend of choice. We took more of a winding road to get there than we thought a week ago, but that's this uh, that's this year's NBA playoffs for you. Uh, yep. To help me break it all down as we head into a Bucks suns NBA Finals, it's Sheldon Alexander of the On, Pla- On Blast Podcast Network. Shelly, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Uh, I said last week that the first five minutes of this podcast was for me and the rest <laughs> was for everybody else out there. So the first five <laughs> minutes today are going to be for we, as in you and I, because okay. before we get to the NBA finals, we have to talk about the sporting event that kind of stole the weekend for me. And if you're in the United States, you probably have even went down and maybe you didn't even know if you were in Canada because to be honest with you I kind of flipped over because I didn't really think we were in that much jeopardy but of course I'm talking about the Olympic qualifying for Team Canada basketball on Saturday an absolute I don't want to say disaster because that's probably not fair but like do you qualify? No it's a disaster it's a disaster here's the thing right and and I'm gonna say this and I'm gonna tiptoe because of obvious political connects but I'll say this much right media what's going on in the media right now like sometimes I see things as a grain of salt right and there's a quick move for people to say certain things to defend the outcome But it's to protect relationships. Like, it's clearly to protect relationships. There is no way that Canada basketball should not qualify for the Olympics, right? You have the second most players in the NBA outside of the United States of America, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that even, you know, if five players don't show up, cool. You still have a rotation that is, for the majority, filled with NBA players. You have an NBA head coach. You were playing at home, like in our time zone, like all of these things, it would be different if there was a full arena and packed fans and all that. Cool. But bottom line, you can't lose to the Czech Republic. You just can't. And <laughs> no, they. So let's let's fill in the blanks here, though, like just for just for a quick second. So, you know, for those who don't know, um, uh, first of all, who's the coach of the team? Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse. Nicholas maybe you've heard Nurse. of him. Right, yeah, NBA Nicholas Finals Nurse. champion in the past. Uh, let's give me give me some um, the starters and or crunch time guys here. RJ Barrett, maybe you've heard of him. Yeah. So the starting lineup for Team Canada ended up being Corey Joseph, RJ Barrett, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Trey Lyles, and um, Dwight Powell. That's the yeah. starting lineup for Team Canada. Coming off the bench, you had Lou Dort, you had Nikhil Alexander Walker. Uh, you got some Andrew Nicholson minutes coming off the bench. Even That's like, uh, oh yeah, 
<laughs> Hold on. Speaking of rough, an Anthony Bennett sighting. Like, I yeah, that's where it gets dicey. But it should be mentioned, right? Like, obviously, Jamal Murray is our shooter. That's our guy, sure. right? That's the guy we're expecting. He would have been out the of. Man. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And of course, he's not there. Shea so Gilgis Alexander would have been starting point guard. Yep. Probably he's not there. Like they're missing. They lacked bigs. Kelly Olenek wasn't able to play because of his contract. Tristan Thompson didn't play. Um, yep. Even guys like Chris Boucher and Kem Birch would have yep. helped. Yep. And so you're missing a lot of guys. All of those things are true. But at the end of the day, you can't lose to the Czech Republic. You just can't. This was set up for Canada basketball. This was supposed to be the moment that they finally, finally end their Olympic drought. And you had enough NBA guys to play, and you just needed to figure out a way to get it done, and they couldn't do it. And to sort of fill in the blanks, if you missed it, it was on CBC here in Canada. Um, I think it was on ESPN, or at least one of the ESPN networks down south. Probably. Canada down 10 to the Czech Republic with down, about a minute to go. I think it was nine points with like 44 seconds left in the game. <laughs> yes. They, <laughs> it, 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 thanks to, I mean, Andrew Wiggins hitting a three-pointer at one point, mm-hmm. which is unlikely in and of itself. Uh, Lou Dort getting crunch time minutes, causing turnovers and, and, being, and doing Lou Dort things out there. They end up tying the game and forcing overtime. They even take a five-point lead. Yeah. into overtime and it just all falls apart from there mm-hmm. and yes the czech republic advances i don't even know who qualified out of that group because that was just the semi-final and i wasn't uh, czech republic czech they republic blew out, they blew out greece in the final okay to advance right uh and it should be worth mentioning uh czech republic's most notable name um <laughs> Sadaransky. Yeah, I Thomas Sadaransky of yeah. your Chicago Bulls. Also a Jan <laughs> right. Vesely sighting. Yeah. a diehard NBA fan, you might remember that bust pick from the Washington Wizards. Well, so, we remember yeah. him from draft night is what we remember him from. True. Good call. Remember with Good his call. girlfriend? Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah you can. Anyway, call. so anyway, we just had to vent on that. You're right. Like a lot of people giving, handing. And it was funny because the post game show was like, you know, Canada just didn't it didn't give up. Like, just didn't want to, you know, lose that game. And it's like they did. They lost the game, yeah. man. Like, like they that, lost. That the, happened. The three pointer that Wiggins hit. Like, go back and watch the forty four seconds. I'm sure there's a clip of it on Twitter online somewhere. You can find that. And the insanity that it took just to send it to overtime, yeah. and then you lose in overtime. Like, it was such a like. The diehard Canada basketball people who have been on this road for the last however many years in terms of why can't we qualify for the Olympics? Right. It's just another heartbreaking, heartbreaking loss. And at some point, they're going to get there. Right. And 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 I like what Glenn Grunwald said. He's like, we took two steps forward, but one big step backwards. I agree with that. Because you had the most amount of actual NBA guys show up and play, and that was good, and it was a good showing. You got the buy-in from these guys. They were into it. They were mad that they lost. All of that matters. Yeah. But again, you take the one step back, and that's, at the end, you know, the biggest deal of that's it all. And, uh, and fundamentally for this podcast, it is worth mentioning, Canada was like minus 1,600 on the money line. <laughs> <laughs> and they lose yeah. 
in a in a massive upset that was probably close to ten to one on the money line for the Czech Republic. All right, NBA Finals. Enough enough uh, patriotism there. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> NBA Finals. So last week, you and I we were penciling in Phoenix and Milwaukee. That's what yep. we got. Did it get a little dicey there? Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Since last we spoke, Giannis gets hurt. And do you, <laughs> did you think at that moment it was over for them? Like, what, what was your instinct there when, um, I mean, they're losing the game and then all of a sudden that goes down. Uh, what, you know, what were your thoughts at that time? To be honest, I didn't have many thoughts on the series. I was more so dejected for Giannis. As much as we've been crushing the Bucks this whole playoffs and like, you know, we had them had the long-term pick for the bucks to win the East and all that stuff. There's been a lot of hate watching of the Milwaukee bucks during these playoffs, right? Almost exclusively. Yep. So to see them, if they just lost, okay, cool. But you didn't want them to lose like that. Right. right? And then add that on to all of the other injuries to stars throughout the playoffs. It was just kind of like, really can't we, can't we just get, to a final and have two healthy teams. Can't we have that? And then well, Trey goes yeah. down and it's just like this ruined the Eastern Conference finals. It really did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it, I mean, listen, it wasn't a matchup that we were all like that pumped up for anyway. So it's sort of like what, you know, what did it really ruin? But yeah, but from a long-term standpoint here. So, you know, we, we looking into this finals matchup and, you know, is there anything that you saw post Giannis going down? You know, obviously, we saw the Bucks win a couple of games. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of different sort of basketball stuff that maybe um, indicated that, yeah, they got there, right? Like, they ended up yeah. beating the Hawks. So, now, obviously, it was a shorthanded Hawks here. So, like, anything that you can take from that, given that the Hawks were, so, you know, so shorthanded, that you can take from that if they're, you know, without Giannis for a couple of games here, if maybe not the whole season, series. So, the early reports, first off, are that... The- People think Giannis can come back for game three. Okay. Right? Will he be 100% healthy? That's another question, right? Because this but, thing is spread out to this finals. I mean, it always is, but this totally relative to the other series, crazy. Totally, right? So if you think Giannis can come back for game three, which would be in Milwaukee, the big thing you take from what you just saw was, okay, well, they didn't just fall apart without Giannis. Mm-hmm. Now... Again, it's against the Hawks. Trey yeah. Young ends up being hobbled as well. But I think you saw moments of hope that, okay, well, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton for the two games without Giannis at least showed, okay, we can, we can lead this team. We can do something here. Like, we're not just going to roll over and it's not going to just fall apart, even though they almost blew game six, which is a story for another day. But... <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like to see what Chris Middleton did those last two games was incredible. The run that he had in that third quarter where Chris Middleton just put the whole team on his back essentially. And he was hitting all kinds of shots, scoring at all levels. I think for someone like myself who crushes Chris Middleton a lot, (laughs) I kind of had to give him some respect. If you look at how he's done in the games where the Bucks have needed him the most, he's right. put up big time performances. And without it, I can't I say I point? was confident. I can't. I can't say that I was confident that that was going to happen because I definitely wasn't. Right. But 
you know, my guy put in work. He did. Can I, did. Can I counterpoint? I'm going to counterpoint. Of course um, is it ever going to be as easy for Chris Middleton as it was in that series from a defensive matchup standpoint? No. Making a lot of no. shots, but like, were many so of here's... them that tough? Yeah, I, really I mean, so. no, there were some. There were some where my guy okay. was just cooking and he was on his NBA jam. He's on fire in a couple spots at third quarter in game six where he went off. Remember, he went off in the fourth quarter of uh was a game five but i like, guess it was like at you're saying from a defensive who, matchup though? standpoint you know what i mean yeah because it's like it, we get this far and mm-hmm. it's like okay like the shots aren't supposed to be wide open anymore so and the well, adjustments here's, here's, are supposed to be made and like i don't know and it's listen it, it's the, not atlanta's fault because hunter was not available and like mm-hmm. who are you gonna but like it's just kind of never right. gonna be that easy you're right and as we talked about at the start of the series when we talked about bucks versus hawks you know, we were on this pod before the series started talking about how the Bucks were going to roll because the Hawks don't have enough answers defensively for the Bucks. That's mm-hmm. going to change against the Suns, especially with no Giannis. You say, okay, well, they're going to put Jay Crowder on Middleton would be my assumption. And that's a much more difficult matchup for Chris Middleton than anything he just saw versus the Atlanta Hawks. So that's going to be right. a problem. Even when Giannis comes back, now you're getting into the Mikhail Bridges, who is still also a very solid defender. Plus, the Suns are just a better defensive team, all in all. I think it's they're going to need the t- work from Middleton, but it's going to come down to Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday also has to be that 25-a-night score. Like He has to be into the 20s for them to win with or without Giannis because yeah. he has to try and win his matchup with Chris Paul scoring-wise. Yeah. Chris Paul is going to do his best and he's going to be the magician, you know, controlling the tempo, controlling the pace. But Drew has to make him work on the other end and has to get buckets. That's what this series to me is going to come down to. Because defensively, who knows? Are you going to put him on Booker? Are you going to put him on Chris Paul? I don't know. We'll see. But that's going to be the interesting uh, matchup for me. Okay, so let's get in a little bit more into it in depth here. And so fundamentally, we should probably mention here that Phoenix, and we talked about it last week, where Phoenix Mm -hmm. is minus 175 on the series price or on the championship price, if you will, before we knew officially what was going to happen with Atlanta and Milwaukee. And we sort of said, you know what, let's just grab this minus 175 now because, you know, it's probably not going to get any lower than that unless you're betting on, you know, Giannis returning for yeah. game one, which, you know, like we said, doesn't really seem to be the case here. So this Phoenix minus 175 and it's, and it hasn't really changed. So it's minus 175, minus 180, whatever. And obviously that's, you know, home court advantage and this idea that we're kind of spotting Phoenix two games here, right? Home court yeah. without Giannis. Like it just, you know, that's what's sort of built into this, Number. So Mm -hmm. first and foremost, can the Giannis less bucks have some success here in the way that they did before? And when you talk about like the idea of Drew Holiday, like he could get to the basket kind of whenever he wanted, right? Against Young and then with Lou Williams, because Lou Williams is not a defender in any sort of way, shape, or form. Um, and and even like Kevin Herter is involved in certain pick and rolls and whatnot with with Middleton in, in the mix and all of that sort of thing. And so I just, you know, I struggle, I suppose, and I think you probably agree with me, but like I struggle kind of trying to figure out how that's going to work against Phoenix 
But where I actually think that the benefit is to not having Giannis around is that when Giannis is in there, and we talked about this, you know, throughout the week last week, when mm-hmm. he's in there, you kind of have to clear the lane, right? Yes. Because it's just downhill running with Giannis, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Lopez ends up being like a stretch five type situation. And then Giannis goes out and now all of a sudden Lopez is around the basket. He's getting way more dunks. He's doing sort of true center type of like, you know, back to the basket, back to the basket post-ups. Um, so in a way here, the best case scenario for the Bucks is having that big man against Aiton that we haven't necessarily seen Aiton have to deal with. Is that, you know, Hmm. is that something like it? I mean, it's, it's, it's Lopez. Like, is it possible that we're relying on Brooke Lopez here? If you're you're backing the Bucks? I think your your greater point though remains more so that without Giannis, it forced the Bucks into having an actual offense with options. Yes, right. That showed yep. some p- form of diversity beyond just Giannis dribbling downhill and then passing it out to Middleton for an ISO. Right. Yeah. They needed to get other guys involved. You saw a lot more Bobby Portis. You saw a lot more. Even Connington was making some plays, which I mean anything you're getting from that angle. Like, I'm just saying other guys were forced to be involved because you needed scoring from other options. Now, Brooke Lopez is going to be a huge body that Aiton will have to deal with that is better than Zubac. You know, like a a, a bigger, better, stronger version of Zubac and, you know, has more in the tank than DeMarcus Cousins. So it's, it's just an interesting matchup that will add to it. I think, though, more importantly, without Giannis, Drew and Middleton know they have to get buckets, right? That mentality where it's like, oh, well, we can just let Giannis go because you're penciling in the 30. No, no, no. We have to go. And I think that part will help them even more. And I might surprise you here because did I see the number for the Bucks is like plus 125 or something like that? Uh, a little higher than that, right? So it's, you know, minus 180, plus 140, 145. There might so, be a plus 150 out there. Here's what I'll say to you. If the word is Giannis might come back for game three, mm-hmm. can the Bucks stun them and just steal one of those games in Phoenix? Right. And then what are you saying about that number heading back to Milwaukee with Giannis coming back? Because right. if Giannis... The, the tough part is, right, obviously a knee injury for someone like Giannis whose game is built on speed and athleticism and quick cutting. Who knows what he's going to be like? Is this a James Harden yeah. situation where he's just like a glorified decoy? We or don't even know. Trey on Saturday. Right? Exactly. Like, exactly. Trey's the same way. But hmm. I would say that, you know, there was talk that if Giannis, if they got to game seven, Giannis was going to play. So Right. Now, if, you, if, you're, if you're saying, okay, well, he could have played in game seven, but he probably would have been like Trey, as you just said. Yeah. But now if you give him another full week off, maybe, you know, there's a little more left in the tank. I don't, I don't know. It, it's tough. It's very, very tough. I'm just saying at that number, right? you know, you're kind of betting on, okay, well, they're giving him the extra week just so that they're, they're saying maybe we can steal one of those games. But if they were down 2-0 going back to Milwaukee with Giannis, we wouldn't say the series is over. 
Yeah, that was going to be my next question. And so if that is sort of the idea, each individual game here from a money line standpoint, right? Game one, five and a half point spread, probably should mm-hmm. work, you know, worth mentioning um but plus 190 195 even maybe a plus 200 potentially by the time we get around to it um i think if you're betting the bucks here aren't you just kind of especially if you can get a flat plus 200 aren't you Mm -hmm. just going you know what i'm betting on the bucks on the money line in each of game one and game two if we get game one then we stay away from game two. We just take our two units and then we yeah. sort of wait, take a wait and see approach to Giannis's health going forward. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is when Giannis comes, depending on what the series at, right? If it's 02, mm-hmm. then maybe there's a value element. And listen, we have a week and multiple shows to sort of talk about that, you know, um, for sure on, yeah. on the daily here. But like, yeah. The tendency here is when there are when a guy comes back that everybody just piles into that team because they're getting that player back, right? Mm-hmm. Not thinking of the overall picture and how things change. And so I think at that point, if it's say one one and Giannis comes back, I think I'm going to like the Suns from a betting standpoint ah, at that, I see at that time because they will no longer have home court. We, you and I, last week were all about the Suns before we, you know, even had this, you know, Giannis injury situation. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, hey, can we just go back a week and trust ourselves back then, right? So I guess what we're kind of thinking here is that maybe just this series ends up being more interesting than maybe we think, you know, coming into it, where we go like, oh, man, the Suns probably going to roll them because Giannis is out. And it's like, no, there's actually like on a game-to-game basis, almost like a stock market type thing, where sure. you're going to be able to sort of buy low, sell high a lot of these, a lot of these games, which I think is kind of cool. The other big part that's super interesting, as you mentioned, going back to what our thoughts were before a Giannis injury, when we were just talking about the Bucks versus the Suns. Let me ask you something here, okay? Because I know we talked about this before. I'm you look at the series and you say the coaching advantage goes to the Suns, right? The leadership advantage, the expertise of what Chris Paul provides on and off the court, that advantage goes to the Suns. The preparation coming into the series, you give that advantage to the Suns. So as we're saying that Bud can't come up with game plans, he's terrible at adjusting, he's terrible at all these things, and we know that, another thing to think about is, So if he's struggling to do that with Giannis, now he has to come up with game plans and counters and adjustments for no Giannis, right? Right. Then maybe Giannis coming back, then Giannis coming back, but maybe he's not fully healthy, right? Right. All these other layers that we already don't believe in Coach Bud to come up with a game plan that's good and then adjust from that off of it, right? And then now we're expecting him to do that throwing in the wrinkle of, well, who knows what you're going to get from your best player. That's another side of it where you're saying, you know, remain from our big picture standpoint coming in because the job that Bud will have to do just got so much more difficult. Can I throw a theory out at you that I think in a way supports that, even though it might sound like it doesn't, Um, doesn't it or didn't it and and didn't it slash doesn't it uh, get a little easier for Bud without Giannis? Hmm. One of my favorite movies of all time is Swingers. And one of the great quotes is, you know, like they're they're in the bar and they're talking to Mikey and they're like, you know, you've got these fangs, man. And you don't even know what to do with these fangs. Mm -hmm. And like Giannis is the fangs, 
right? Okay. And it's like Bud doesn't even know what to do with the fangs. And it's like, uh... and it's like you've got him like he's shooting four threes a game, Bud. Like that's not what you to do with the fangs, right? Yeah. For power. Like you and you don't seem to know what to do with it. But when he goes out, basketball it kind of reverts back to like traditional basketball the way i said you know with like lopez playing a more traditional position and Mm -hmm. it's like and when there's kind of less options from a player substitution and whatnot standpoint it kind of comes it dump it's like it dumbs it down for him where he's like well i only have six guys so like i can't really you know mess this up too badly i'm just gonna have him play like you know we'll do some pick and roll stuff out there we'll get drew holiday penetrating we'll get a couple of shooters we'll get a lob guy in there with lopez and it's gonna be a lot more basic and like that's kind of in a weird way where you sort of where you're right is like when Giannis comes back in and we don't really know like what you know is there going to be a minutes restriction like what's that situation going to look like that's where he's going to get confused again right we're going to get confused Mm -hmm. bud instead of basic bud when like he should just be playing a checkers game, right? He's probably yeah. really good at checkers, but if he's going to play, try to play chess, it's going to be a mess for Bud. And that's what this, you know, this like unicorn guy in Giannis sort of kind of ha- you know, creates. It's just like, oh my god, I don't know what to do with this guy, and it's yeah. only going to get kind of dicier from that standpoint. And so, if I'm the, I shouldn't say if I'm the Suns, but if I'm a, if I'm looking for Suns value mid series, I kind of want. Giannis to come back mm-hmm. for that yeah. purpose. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. So I, I was taking a look at the NBA Finals uh, MVP market. Okay. But about it last week, and I pitched and I posed to you the question: um, Who's more likely to win the NBA Finals MVP, uh, Chris Paul or Devin Booker? And you know, the premise of that was obviously sort of the story, the Chris Paul storyline, and like that idea. And because I'm a dope. Um, I didn't bet Chris Paul at, you know, plus 450 because Devin Booker was like or something like that. And I was like, mm-hmm. at, the, at best, this is kind of a 50-50 type situation. And then, mm-hmm. of course, Chris Paul just takes all of, you know, all of that equity and before the finals <laughs> even hits, right? Because he goes yeah. nuts and he wins them that series. And now yeah. we're sitting here and Chris Paul's plus 170. And Devin oh, Booker wow. is plus two fifty. So Chris Paul, in their own little personal race here, yeah. right? The, the Paul versus Booker race that we talked about last week, he's now taken the lead because obviously he he dragged them in that last game. Um, so have you changed your take here, or you know, is is that does that game change your mind? And and sort of the obvious like um, you know all the chatter around Chris Paul and all of that sort of stuff. Like does that you know obviously that's why the odds have changed. I guess sort of the better way to say this is, is Devin Booker now more attractive to you at plus 250? Or are you sort of coming around to the idea that like if the Suns win this series, it's going to Chris Paul kind of no matter what? Here's the thing that's kind of crazy about this though, right? If you go to the last two series clinching games, it's been Chris Paul who's been the one to kind of win the game for them late. Right, like he's kind of yep. taken over. So if you go to that Clippers series, what did he put up? Forty-one, I think it was. But in that yeah. fourth, yeah, it was forty-one points he put up in that game. He had seven threes in that game, which Chris yeah. Paul is not a three-point shooter. But right. you know, to have him do that in a closeout game and the way that he did it in the fourth quarter, where he was just going off, that would sway people. I would think. Do you, do you know what I mean? That would yeah. definitely well, sway people. And that's, and that's to, why the market has adjusted, right? 
you know, this NBA, it's the NBA finals MVP. So yeah. unlike the con Smythe in the NHL, right. Where it's like, okay, you've got this body of work for the entire playoffs. And then it's no, kind no, of no, up to somebody to is, steal it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is if he finishes out the series, super strong, right. Cause like against the, the nuggets, he put up 37 in the clinching game. Right. Okay. And then in the clinching game against the Clippers, 41 points. And that's like the lasting memory that we have. Right. And I always go back to, you know, Hubie Brown picking Fred Van Fleet as finals MVP when the Raptors won. Like, that's insane. Yeah. But he's only doing that because you just saw the last game, <laughs> right? That's right. right in front of you. And yeah. you had some people trying to talk themselves into, oh, you know what? Maybe Fred could do it. It's like, guys, he had like two good games. But it's just narratives. And that's what people right. go on, right? Not the consistency of what we've seen from Devin Booker throughout. So if you're asking me, you know, at, at the price that it's at now, I mean, Booker is definitely the better pick than Chris mm-hmm. Paul at the price that it's at now. And I know that you live in a world where you'd be too upset to take Chris Paul at this point, knowing that you could have had him at <laughs> yes. the number last week. Of course. But right? Say so, yeah. yeah. So Devin Booker definitely... I think there's the value has definitely shifted over to Devin Booker because he should be the finals MVP if things play out the way that we think they should. Meaning he's going to be the one who would consistently be putting in the work in this series. Chris Paul might have the one or two like explosive games, but the right. consistent night in night out. I think well, we know I mean, that would be that would be Devin Booker. Right. So uh, maybe that maybe there's an interesting sort of angle here though for a mid-series uh, NBA Finals MVP bet because I think you're right okay. and, and it's not and Chris Paul is you know the, the point god right like yes. he is the point guard and what a point <laughs> guard's job right it's to get mm-hmm. everybody involved either early in games or in this case early in the series and yeah. so it's probably not a coincidence that he's taken over late when it's like go time right it's winning time and he spent the first four games of a series making sure everybody else gets involved because that's mm-hmm. how they're going to win from a long-term perspective. And so I think if you went down through every series, like I think maybe obviously the first series you would give it to Booker, but like you said, whether it's you know the Denver series or the series against the Clippers, you go, well, he was getting everybody else involved through the first few games and then took it over late, which means probably after games whatever from those series you want you probably wouldn't have had him as the favorite to win series mvp which is obviously yeah. not a real thing but like no but I know it is saying. now yeah. right it is yeah. it is it is in this series and so mm-hmm. if we you know like you said i'm not going to bet on 70 i'm still kicking myself from not kind of you know basically spelling it out without actually reading it <laughs> last week <laughs> but if it gets win the first couple of games here booker's you know going off for 30 points or whatever and I mean, you can also throw in the element of like, what if Giannis happens to be back and he's playing defensively, maybe against Booker or sort of obviously being a, a rim protector element there too. But yeah, like I think you can probably get a better price of, than plus 170 at some point halfway through this series before Chris Paul has that late series takeover style game. So that's kind of mm-hmm. a Okay. Um, okay. As for the Bucks, here, let me throw this out at you. If you mm-hmm. like the Bucks here, right? And it's funny because Giannis is not, you know, again, we don't think he's playing in the first two games. 
He's still the favorite on the Bucks to win NBA Finals MVP at plus 350. But, mm-hmm. you know, first of all, you know, I guess part one of this, and this could be a yes or no question, if he never comes back in this series, like, is there any way the Bucks win the, the championship? But part two here is if he does come back mid-series, mm-hmm. which other guy has the opportunity to sort of steal the finals MVP, right? Like with the idea being, you know, somebody has a big game in the first two games, right? Um, you know, the Bucks steal one in Phoenix and then Giannis comes back. Maybe he's not fully healthy, but he's just good enough. And obviously Holiday is, uh, is a possibility at 12 to one, Middleton plus 550. And then I'd even throw in Lopez at 100 to <laughs> one, uh, just, just saying uh, based on some of the numbers that he put up towards the end of the Atlanta Hawks series. And again, it's a small sample size and anything 100 to 1 where a guy is in theory going to be on the court a lot is certainly worth a possibility. So, um, and again, what, in what universe does Giannis come back but somebody else on the Bucks wins the MVP? And if so, who is that person? Well, here, here's the thing. If, if Giannis does come back and it still ends up being a long series and Middleton and or Drew Holiday play well in all the games. I don't really know if it's fair to, especially if they earn a split, meaning they won games without Giannis, right? right. Yeah. I think it'd be kind of unfair to give it to Giannis over, you know, a Middleton. And of course, we're, this is complete hypotheticals here, yeah. right? Um, so there is a world where, you know, if Giannis comes back and let's say Drew Holiday has just been a beast on both ends of the floor. Like yes. he's kind of shown he has the ability to do at times. I don't know if you saw this. He, he was on with uh, the inside the NBA guys and you could tell why teams or why fans and why ownership would buy into it. Like he just seems like a down to earth, like super nice guy. And you know how lately there's been this whole backlash against the inside guys because when they crush guys, Durant or LeBron or whatever, they get mad. Right. They interviewed Drew Holiday and, and Barkley does crush them at times being like, how come these guys aren't consistent? But he asked him the question. He's like, Hey man, like, so what's going on? How come, like, what's the difference between last game and this game for you? And holiday so calm and cool. He was like, you know what? I know what you guys been saying. And I, and I agree with you. I do need to be more consistent. I got my family, my friends hitting me up, asking me what's going on. And I was just so taken aback by that response. Cause it's so counter. Right to anything that we hear in sports these days, right? Like what accountability, self-reflection, what? So (laughs) I I bring all that up because the one, if there is a silver lining, I was going to say good thing and I don't want to say good thing, but silver lining to, to Giannis going down. It's that drew and Middleton know they got to get busy. So if that maintains throughout and he, you know, let's say is a pest slowing Devin Booker, and getting right. 25 a night, there's definitely a world where Drew Holiday could win finals MVP and the Bucks win because Giannis comes back and he's able to give you, let's say, 15 to 20 or something like that. He's not Giannis yeah. Giannis, but he's able to give you something. There's yeah. definitely a world where that could lead into. Well, and think about it this way too, right? A lot of times, especially, I shouldn't say especially in hockey, but it actually probably makes more sense in basketball, where you know if you're picking the team to you know, pull the upset, 
right? Means they're starting mm-hmm. on the road. It means that a game seven would be on the road and mm-hmm. you don't really want anything to do with a game seven on the road in the NBA, right? And so you would pick that team to win in six because the idea is they're going to steal one of the home games, one, two, or five, yeah. and then get it done at home, right? That's kind of the premise for what we had with regards to the Bucks, even though they never actually stole the game that they were supposed to steal in game five, but managed to get it done in seven anyway. Um, but we've been over that a few times. Oh, so, yes. I guess the point is, it's like if the Bucks win the series, like it's probably in six games or less, which means even less opportunity for Giannis to kind of sort of steal back the NBA Finals um, MVP, right? Like Very the fewer games that he plays, right? Like if he plays yep. only four games out of the six, that's still, you know, from a percentage standpoint, that's obviously less than five out of, you know, seven, for example. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, last thing I want to kind of get into here as we set it up for tomorrow is, you know, in the NBA Finals, like the Super Bowl a little bit, where it's like, all right, let's dip into some props, you know, Mm -hmm. here and there. And so, you know, not a ton out there necessarily with regards to, you know, points, rebounds, all that kind of thing. But um, without Giannis, especially for this first, these first couple of games here, right? Like I'm looking, kind of going through the matchups. You mentioned the idea of Crowder on Middleton, um, Bridges also sort of an option there. Uh, on mm-hmm. the reverse side of things, right? Like maybe a Tucker Booker type situation. Um, yeah. So, but I, you know, I was looking at this Lopez Aiton, you know, concept, right? And so with Giannis out, you know, Holiday gets the ball more, right? His his assist numbers have gone through the roof. We've seen that. Like you said, Middleton has sort of carte blanche to shoot whenever he wants because he knows he has to, and that Lopez gets to play closer to the basket and gets to play this more traditional center. And this is an is a matchup too yeah. that Aiton hasn't seen, right? Because like yeah. the big man on Denver was Jokic, mm-hmm. and like that's not really that type. You know, he's not really that type of guy. I mean, sort of a, you know, Lopez might consider himself a homeless homeless man's. Uh, <laughs> but like the Lakers and the Clippers certainly didn't have anybody who yeah. could handle Aiton, right? So I'm looking at kind of a lot of like Aiton unders potentially because I think oh. he's sort of you know less effective potentially with uh, you know with Lopez being involved here. Um, so, holiday assist numbers are going to be really high, like they're like their over unders are going to be really high. Um, yeah. but you know, Chris Paul, we talk about early in the playoffs or early in a series, he's, he's more distributive. Right, we might get a, a big number on him from a point standpoint that we might want to come under on, maybe yeah. go over on his assists, stuff like that. Uh, is there anything from a matchup standpoint, whether it's sort of, you know, literally a matchup or literally the or the or or more figuratively, sort of where a guy is going to be playing a little bit more on the court that would lend itself to anything um, from any of these individual players for you? So one thing I find that's going to be super interesting in this series that will hurt the Bucks a lot more than they probably realize. The the I guarantee the Suns coming into this series are just going to hunt Brooke Lopez every time down the floor. Chris Paul yeah. and Aiton are going to run that pick and roll. Chris Paul's going to get the matchup where he's going to be with Brooke Lopez on an island and he's just going to make him dance. And it's going to be on Coach Bud to figure out, okay, well, what do I do? We talked about it from the Brooklyn series, right? So that's two yeah. full series ago that they needed to sit Lopez and play one of their smaller guys or even play Giannis at the five. So then on that pick and roll, if you have Giannis at the five on that switch, you, mm-hmm. you can live with Giannis mm-hmm. trying to guard Chris Paul as opposed to Brooke Lopez, who has no chance. 
right? So hmm. that okay. to me is going to be interesting coming in. And I want to see, it'll be interesting because you mentioned Chris Paul distributing a lot early. I want to see if he just tries to hunt Lopez and maybe he gets his scoring going early in the series just because he's going to abuse that matchup because what are the other answers that the Bucks have? Because Bobby Portis, it would be the same thing. Right. Right. Do you go super small and try to have PJ Tucker play the five? So at least it's not as bad. And PJ Tucker, but then who are your other guys? You're going to play Forbes. You're going to play Forbes and Connington. Mm -hmm. Right. Like that's what I really want to see go down because PJ Tucker would battle Aiton. Obviously, Aiton would dominate the matchup, but I'm interested to see what the the counter is going to be because Chris Paul is going to pick on Brooke Lopez in a way that we haven't seen. Like it's going to be, we saw what Kevin Durant was doing to Brooke Lopez, right? We saw yeah. what, and yeah. I always use the example of the Raptors, right? Because that's what, that's how the Raptors won that series. Right. They brought on guys like Van Fleet and Norm and Kyle and Kawhi. And all they did was hunt the Bucks' bigs off the floor so they couldn't play. Well, that's going to be super interesting for me to see. Yeah, you saw game one, of, you know, with the Hawks, right? And it's mm-hmm. Trey Young's throwing passes, and it's just lob passes over and over exactly. and over off of that, right? But the next game comes around, and, yep. you know, do we credit that game two as Bud making adjustments? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, right? Well, we finally saw Bobby Portis finally get some minutes, right? So yeah. I guess, yeah, there were some slight adjustments, and we saw Giannis, you know, you saw them go downsize and play some Giannis at the five. So that part's obviously interesting. I wonder going forward into the series, though, you're already down Giannis. So they might need Lopez in the game to score. So how, yeah. where's that fine line going to be? be- you know, from, okay, well, Chris Paul is just killing us on this pick and roll or Booker's killing us on this pick and roll. How long can we keep Lopez in this game for, right? Is he scoring enough to justify them playing him still on the defensive end? That's going to be interesting for me to see. And again, as we talked about, the adjustment to the adjustment because you don't have Giannis. Right. And it's funny, right? Because game two, Lopez, he plays just 23 minutes. Mm-hmm. which is obviously something of an adjustment, right? Like yep. down. Um, yep. But he shoots six of eight and three of five from three-point line, right? So he plays less minutes, but he piles up 16 points. More and which is obviously, yeah, he's just more effective in that, in that, I guess, lesser role because, you know, they lose by three points in game one mm-hmm. and Lopez plays 20 minutes and was minus 14. So like they got him out of there yeah well that's the other thing right when you're playing someone lesser minutes you're now playing them in more favorable matchups right so you can play him when you know let's say trey's not on the floor so it's not just you know it's maybe bogged a hobbled bogdanovich running the pick and roll as opposed (laughs) to trey young or herder running the pick and roll instead of trey young you can play him in better matchups serve for him or play him against your backup center Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's just different things you can do. And I want to see that chess match because I know Chris Paul has just been sitting there and that's what he's going to do. He's just going to hunt Brooke Lopez from the word jump. Is this an over series or an under series? Ooh, I'm going to say under. Yeah, I'm going to say under because I feel like, you know. The, the tough part is with, again, the, with no Giannis, I feel like the Bucks will have moments where they just get nervous and don't know what to do really, right? Like the turnovers that you saw 
come from the Hawks, and especially once Trey got hurt, you're not really going to see from Chris Paul, right? There's not going to be right. those turnovers and get out and runs and easy buckets and transition. With Chris Paul and Booker, we even saw those games like there are games that ended in the 80s, no? In that in that <laughs> yes. Clippers series, where yeah. you know the Suns at times will struggle to score, and I think the same thing you'll see from the Milwaukee Bucks because the other part of this whole series, and I know we don't like this on this pod because it's not talking about numbers, Uh-oh. but you have two teams with nobody on the team that has won an NBA title. Right. Yeah. So oh, like, you got to have the experience. No one's ever won just, a no one without experience. No, what? but I'm just saying, all, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is, you might see some moments where the games get tight and you're going to see some lower scoring games. Okay. So like these, the very sort of narrative panic attack type uh, concept. I don't disagree with it. It just, I just wondered well, because, you know, if we're talking we about like Bucks do Lopez this against... playing, being a, a offensive, you know, he's going to have to score. And if he's scoring, like, then that means they'll keep him out there and they might get scored on more. And so to me, that sort of, I felt like maybe that then we should, we'd be headed to sort of overtown. And maybe, maybe it depends on whether Giannis is in the game or not, right? Maybe it's just, mm-hmm. it's an over series if he's not playing or it's an under if he is or vice versa. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that's sort of tricky. Um, okay. Um, final prediction, if you will. Like, I've never asked you. I've never once Ugh. asked you for a prediction on any of Ugh. these series in, like, a literal, like, in how many games type of a way here. But it's the NBA Finals. We've been doing this for a couple of months here. Um, what do you got, man? Who you got and in how many? Here's the problem. Here's the problem. We don't know what, what's going to happen with the That's ice. the fun of it. That's the fun that's, of it. That's not fun. <laughs> where, do you, where do you see fun in that? I see no fun in that. Um, here's the thing. My brain tells me that the Suns should win this series, right? Okay. Um, my brain was probably telling me that the Suns would win even if Giannis played because there'd be so many moments where Yes, the Bucks should probably win, but their coaching deficiency is going to come back against them. Their lack of being able to get a bucket when they need a bucket is going to right. kill them. Like they don't really know still what they do, you know, in crunch time, all of those things. Now you're telling me Giannis is hobbled and you're giving the Bucks like a two-game head or sorry, the Suns a two-game head start in the series. Mm-hmm. It'd kind of be foolish not to take the Suns. Okay. Right? Like you're like if you're if I'm in a betting my life situation, which I know is not what you do here, but you know what I'm saying, right? It'd be foolish not to take the Suns. How how I can't believe Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are gonna be the reasons why Chris Paul loses. Okay, it's tough. How many games? Tough. How many games? If we're if we're doing a correct series, correct score, you know, I'll give you the odds after you give me the uh, give me the game. Suns in. Six. Okay. Plus four twenty-five. If for those of you out there who would be interested in that sort of a thing. Um, but I, I despise all this. If Giannis is done, the Suns could sweep them. Yeah. Sure. All of that's true. This I kind of like that. That's <laughs> that's eight to one, this by the way. Weird. Plus eight hundred for a Suns sweep for those of you this who is are interested in Giannis is gonna play. Sort of There's no way that Giannis is not gonna play though. Like he's gonna yes, try to play. Fair. It comes yeah, down but to does like, that equal, how, what does he have in the tank? Right, but does that equal like a win? Right, because again, if we've learned anything 
right? It's exactly. just because X player plays doesn't mean that, you know, the result is X player's team wins. So Yeah, I can't, um, I can't fully bet on a hobbled Giannis to beat this Chris Paul redemption, finally getting his moment. Like, yeah. Yeah, and know. as we speak, Phoenix Suns go to minus six in game one. <laughs> so that, that plus 200 money line certainly available on the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, we'll be back next week because, listen, this, <laughs> this NBA Finals, like I said, is stretched. So we'll only be three, through three games by this time next week, despite the fact that game one goes on Tuesday. Uh, you can catch Sheldon uh, at Shell Alexander on Twitter and all of the action there um, for the On Blast Podcast Network. Shell, uh, pleasure as always, my friend. Thanks for having me. Great stuff, as always, from our man Sheldon. Uh, we got to talk some Stanley Cup. Got to talk some Stanley Cup finals here. Game four tonight. Game three, there's just no way around it, folks. That was ugly. Uh, six to three for Tampa Bay. And, you know, kind of almost as bad from a metric standpoint. And that, I think, is the big disappointment as the series shifts to Montreal. And you think, you know, narrative, right? Remember the difference between narrative and sort of factual here. But, like, the narrative is, okay, Montreal is going to come home and they're going to, you know, be more energized and all of that and from a factual standpoint like we felt pretty good about the matchup changes but the thing is in the first two games really wasn't a matchup issue right we talked about obviously some of the fortunate goals and and relatively even play and how Montreal was probably the better team not probably the better team certainly the better team in game two and so this game comes around and it just falls apart and it falls apart relatively early. And, you know, fundamentally 2.34 on the expected goals for for Tampa Bay, 5 on 5 to just 1.57 for Montreal and 10 to 5 in the high danger chances at even strength for Tampa Bay over Montreal. And on top of that, they convert 3 of those 10 high danger chances, which of course is 30% and given that league average is about 14%. That's about double what you would expect from that amount uh, of high danger opportunities to score. And so it just, you know, I think you're going to be surprised sort of maybe with what I think of some of the goals, certainly the first goal. I thought that was a bad goal on Carey Price. And we've, I shouldn't say gone out of our way here because that's not necessarily true, but you know, these first few games, like, we, we've, we've listed the goals that have happened, right? And it's off this guy's leg and off this guy's arm and all of this other stuff, right? And so when you see that first goal and it's a floater coming in from the point, I tweeted on Friday, you know, noted sniper Rutu just firing him in. And he just, like, lofts one in that finds its way into the top corner. But normally, you know, we would say, oh, you know, he was screened, he couldn't see it, like, can't stop a puck that you can't see, all of that sort of thing. But, like you got to be able to battle a little bit harder than that, right? You have to be able to find that puck. That's part of the job, right? So there's going to be situations where you don't see a puck and your positioning is going to, um, you know, you're going to have to rely on that to make the save. There's going to be a situation where you can't find the puck and you kind of had no chance to find the puck. And in this case, I feel like he had a chance to find the puck. And so um, from a bigger picture standpoint, it's funny because in the regular season, certainly early on in the regular season, we were trying to come up, come up with different theories and different ideas about, you know, the idea of the back-to-back games that we had this season, which was the big difference maker from this regular season to seasons past. And what does it mean when one play, when team outplays a team 
in that first game and what happens in that second game. And we came up with the you blew it theory, if you guys recall, from January and February. And the you blew it theory simply states that, you know, the underdog, you know, when they play better in the first of the two games and they don't win, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should be betting on them the second time around because they were better at expected goals for or high danger chances or all of the stuff that we deem important in trying to be predictive going forward. It just means that they played a really good game, but they lost. And the next game is kind of its own entity, which we know, right? We know that going in, but we're trying to figure out you know, how to evaluate these teams from a predictive standpoint. And so the you blew it theory was you'd play a great game, right? Like the Detroit Red Wings would play, um, you know, Carolina, and they'd have the better of it from an expected goals for standpoint or a high danger chance standpoint, but they would lose the game, you know, 3-2 in overtime. And then we'd get plus 200 with Detroit the next day. And we would say, okay, like they can play with this team, plus 200, that's good value. And listen, sometimes that would work out and sometimes it wouldn't. That's kind of the point of the odds, right? Even if that only worked out 40% of the time, we would be profitable. But what was interesting was the next game oftentimes the Carolinas of the world, right, the better team, would show it in that second game. And they would have the much better of it from an expected goals for high danger chance and all of that stuff standpoint. So, you know, where I'm, where I'm going with this is this kind of felt like a you blew it situation where it's like Montreal had it, right? They had it in game two. They had this ratio. I just talked about 2.34 to 1.57 expected goals for. That's basically the reverse of what Montreal had on the road against Tampa in game two, right? 2.34 to 1.57 is 0.77 of a differential, right? It was 0.74 in the previous game. So, you know, Montreal plays outplays Tampa the way that Tampa outplays Montreal, but because it's Tampa and because, they, because the puck goes in the net, right? The root two shots of the world go in the net, then we look at it and we go, okay, well, like Tampa just, you know, so good. And again, this has never been about Tampa not being good. They're great. They are great both from a metric standpoint and a non-metric standpoint. They are great from an obvious eye test standpoint. They are great from a salary cap. How much money are you paying these players standpoint, right? Like that's never not been what it's about. But when a shot like that or a play that leads to a shot like that, where Josh Anderson is, you know, has this sort of lazy mentality. And that's when we talk about, okay, like they're back at home, you know, fired up all of these cliches that we use, right? But then we watch Josh Anderson get two opportunities to clear the zone and he just can't do it because he's taking a casual approach on the puck, which this is the Stanley Cup finals, man. You got to be a little harder on the puck. And I know that's sort of very hockey guy cliche standpoint, but like the puck has to get out of the zone. We talked after game one about the puck getting into the Tampa Bay zone. Like fundamentally, when it comes to hockey, the first step is get the puck out of your zone by any means necessary, right? With the exception of please don't shoot it all the way down the ice for an icing call. So get the puck out by any means necessary. Then part two, right, plan B, if you will, is get the puck into their zone deep, right? Whether you're making a line change or whether you're forcing, um, you know, forcing yourself on them um, from a pressure standpoint offensively. Like that's just the fundamentals, right? Zone to zone play, whether that's snappy, quick passes, whether that's chipping it up, uh, you know, the boards all of the above, but it's got to get out of the zone. And so when it doesn't get out of the zone, then that's when we rely on carry price. And that's been the fundamental difference between the 
Montreal Canadiens pre this series and the Montreal Canadiens in this series. And so when I see people talking about like, oh, the Islanders would have smoked this team, but it's like, sure, okay, in made up land where that would be the case, you know, fine. But the fundamental thing is like, yeah, if Carey Price isn't finding that puck to make that save, right? He's not getting, he's not finding his way through the traffic to make that save. And if you watched, you know, again, I test here, the previous three series, the amazing thing about Carey Price is that he was finding those pucks. He was finding those pucks to catch them with his glove. He wasn't finding the pucks, you know, hitting them in the chest and having a rebound right in front, right? That's how good he was in the, in these previous series. And, you know, I'm giving him largely a pass in these first two games because when we break down each individual goal, like they were really, you know, fortunate in a lot of different ways. But in that case, like that's just a shot that he has to find. And so I am going to beat him up a little bit for not making that save. Um, same thing, maybe a little bit more lucky, if you will, or just sort of bad luck for, for Price when Victor Hedman comes in and wails a slap shot and on the power play. And that's a fundamental mental mistake from Montreal to just let Victor Hedman walk in straight into the slot and just pound a slap shot, which, you know, Carey Price, that's not a um, reaction save, right? That's not a reflex save. That's a positional save. And so he hammers one and it hits Price, you know, sort of the bottom part of his arm and squeaks through because it's coming at a ridiculous velocity. Like that's a mental mistake on that penalty kill. And that's a penalty kill that's, you know, that stopped 30 straight penalties, uh, power plays, I should say, before this series started. So when we're talking about handicapping a game here, what are we doing, right? We're hoping that Montreal can have a really good uh, penalty kill. But if they're going to just have mental mistakes like that, then what can we do about that, right? We can't really do anything about it. It's the same thing in a different way, though, with Josh Anderson, right? If the mental errors are, I can't get this puck out of the zone, I can't clear it, under any, you know, by any means necessary, then yeah, that is going to come back and haunt you. It's the same thing with the turnovers in game one in the neutral zone coming back to haunt them. And it was, and you know, the broadcast would show the turnover happen and then Kucherov goes down and he flicks his backhander that goes off an arm. And it's like, you know, yeah, the turnover happened, but like it really took a lot for that puck to get into the net from a good fortune standpoint, right? And it's sort of the same thing when it comes to at least the Rudigal to start the game, but that one didn't go off of anybody, right? That didn't go off of an arm. It didn't go off of multiple legs. That didn't happen that way. And so, um, you know, you get to two nothing and then Montreal gets it to two to one. And then there's a two on oh, right? Another mental mistake because they can't get the puck deep in order to make a line change, right? They make the line change despite the fact that the puck didn't get deep. And whose fault is that? Is that the guys making the line change who are under the assumption, the trust of their teammate to get that puck in deep into the zone? Or is that the guys, you know, who are literally in charge of getting the puck in deep? He knows they're changing. He knows that has to happen and it just doesn't, right? So it's again, mental mistake, mental mistake. And who's at the other end, right? It's Kucherov because he's sneaky and he's hiding back there and they get this two on O. And, you know, again, the broadcast kind of beat up, I should say the intermission kind of beat up Price a little bit for not getting his stick on the puck as it gets passed through the crease to Kucherov. And I think they're right about that. And is that, you know, is Price exhausted at all? You know, all of a sudden, you know, maybe that's the case. Who knows? But there's just a couple of instances here where Price wasn't able to bail them out. And that hasn't really changed, right? That Like the idea of them needing Price occasionally to bail them out hasn't really changed from previous series, right? It just hasn't happened for them this time around. And so, you know, the disappointing thing is, 
game three can be bad for Montreal, but it doesn't change the facts from the previous game, right? So game three is bad, looks ugly, and then all of a sudden it's like now we're headed for a sweep here and Montreal sucks and they never should have you know made it this far and all of that sort of thing. When in reality here, it's just a series of coin flips whether it's game to game or series to series. And the reason we've won as much money as we have on Montreal is because we've acknowledged that. We have seen that, that it is all of these coin flips and that those coin flips happen to land our way, whether it was through games through you know, five through seven uh, against Toronto. I mean, the Winnipeg one, I mean, that was just flat out easy money because Winnipeg sucks. Um, But, you know, even the Vegas one, just being like, the price is what for this? You know, so the problem is here is like, oh, now it's going to be, in theory, might, you know, tonight they might lose and and it may be a sweep and it's going to look like, oh, Tampa Bay would just absolutely smoke them in every game because that's what the scoreboard sort of indicates. But we know better, right? Like the game three poor play doesn't change the facts from game two in that in a lot of different ways and a lot of alternate universes, as we say, that this series should have been 1-1 headed back to Montreal. Now it would be firmly 2-1 because Tampa Bay has outplayed Montreal in two of these three games. But because of good fortune, Tampa Bay has a 3-0 lead. And so now we look at it and we're like, okay, like this is a bummer. They're going to get swept here, yada, yada, yada. And you go, okay, well, how do you get swept in the Stanley Cup? How do you get swept in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? And it's going to happen kind of one of two ways. Either you're going to lose a bunch of really close one-goal games, like the way we saw with Edmonton and Winnipeg. Again, history will show that Winnipeg swept Edmonton. But if you watched every single one of those games, right, every single one of those, you thought at one point that Edmonton was going to win that game. Or the other option is you just combine bad breaks with mental mistakes, And that's what's happened here, whether it was game two, getting some bad breaks, whether it was game one, the mental mistakes, or game three, the mental mistakes, stuff that like is wholly preventable. And if you're getting, you know, if you're having those mental mistakes and you're getting bad breaks and you're not getting bailed out by your goaltender, that's how you're going to get swept, right? And we talked about the idea of like, if game two had happened in the reverse, like we'd be talking about how Vasilevsky uh, stole the game, right? Because they, you know, you can't have, you can't be an underdog or you can't be a favorite, excuse me, uh, and steal a game, even though that's exactly what happened in game two. So we have tonight's game. And again, who knows what's going to happen necessarily tonight? Obviously, um, I don't want to say 50-50 here because obviously the odds indicate that it's not, but we'll talk about that here in a little in just a second here. But, you know, if this if this happens to be a sweep, right? And we deal in probabilities. And yeah, like there was a possibility of a Tampa sweep. There was, you know, we talked about the idea of, okay, is it 18% or is it 25% that Tampa Bay wins this in five? And if they sweep it in four, is that any, you know, are you more correct in your Tampa Bay in five prediction than you are in your Tampa Bay in six prediction, right? Because that's fundamentally what we thought the most likely result of this series is. And who knows, may still end up getting there. Don't want to rule that out. But we talk about probabilities, right? It's why we bet on Montreal in the first series against Toronto because of the probabilities. And again, I don't, you know, don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but as a hypothetical, right? If it's minus 300 for Toronto, that indicates that they're going to win 75% of the time. We disagreed with that concept fundamentally. Same thing in the next series where it was deemed that Winnipeg was going to win that series, you know, 55% of the time. And we didn't think that was correct. And even though we thought it was Montreal that would win the series, you know, 50, I was actually closer to 60% of the time, there was still 40% chance based on even that really aggressive in favor of Montreal prediction or evaluation 
that Winnipeg 40% of the time is going to win the series, right? Same thing in, with Vegas. It was decided that Vegas was going to win that series 83% of the time. And of course, we didn't think that was fair, but we thought it was closer to 60-40. So again, even though we were on Montreal, we still acknowledged that there was a 60% chance that Vegas wins the series. And so, you know, whether you break that down into its even further into its pieces of pie type situation where you go, okay, there's a sliver here where Tampa um, gets the sweep. There's a larger sliver where Tampa gets, you know, wins this in five, which again was the most um, from a market standpoint at plus 300, that was the most deemed to be the most likely result. And again, still may happen. And then we just thought that the largest piece of a pie here was Tampa in six games. And because of that, that created all kinds of value on the idea of this series going six games. So we're going to leave the game alone tonight because we are now backs against the wall situation here. Um, but I will say at plus 140 right now, and listen, I'm so disinterested in betting this game tonight that I literally just looked up the, the game odds about five minutes before recording this podcast. But Montreal plus 140 and you know again fundamentals here it's plus 140 when three days ago it was plus 110 and nothing has fundamentally changed with the series right all we knew or all that's changed all we know is that Montreal did not play very well in game three and that Tampa was the much better team in game three does that is that predictive in any way going forward? I mean, only as it relates to the previous two data points that we have for this series, which were game one, super weirdo game with crazy puck you know, bounces, and then game two, where Montreal was much better. So we have a crazy puck bounce game in game one. We have a Montreal much better in game two. We have a Tampa much better in game three. And now all of a sudden we have a plus 140 price tag here on Montreal. So if this is middle of the season, like, yeah, of course we would bet on Montreal here. But, um, you know, I, that's, I mean, that's literally as close to the literal definition of value as we can possibly get, right? Like plus 110 to plus 140 without any fundamental changes in the lineup or, you know, situation with regards to the series, other than the idea that we've seen Tampa win three games and it's kind of hard to imagine Montreal winning a game, right? But again, that's not really how sports betting works at all. I've already posted the official record for the playoffs after game three. That's how sort of out on it I am, right? Again, we talk about, are you over-invested, under-invested, whatever, right? We're already just fully invested in Montreal winning the game tonight. Same thing with game five, should there be one? And again, hopefully there is. So fundamentally, we just hope they win and give it a chance, you know, in game five uh, on what I believe would be Wednesday. Um, quick finish up to the pod here. Euro 2020 recap from Friday and Saturday. Tons of little, you know, mixed result type situations there. Spain survives Switzerland. Um, we did well there with a both team to score. Uh, so we went 1-1 into penalties. We're hoping Switzerland could get it done again twice in one week against a top-tier team in penalties. But as good as they were, 5-for-5 five five against France, they were that bad in penalties, missing three of them. And it's funny, right? You see the replay of the last guy to miss as if it's all his fault because he missed when, like, two other guys missed. That's how sort of surprising it is that three people end up missing. Um, Italy beats Belgium. Outstanding. We get our Italy future into the semifinals. Again, rather that have been Switzerland. I guess, I mean, I don't know at this point, right? Switzerland, you know, if they were in the semifinals here after knocking off both France and Spain, like, is that really something that you want to be all that excited about? Uh, and then Saturday, you know, morning-ish, I tweet out that I was adding the over 
to the Denmark game. Uh, and they, you know, for some reason that dropped to 2.0. And again, that's just, I don't want to call it luck, but like it kind of is just luck where you go, okay, if you're going to give me this price, right? If you're going to give me a 2.0, you know, we talk about it in hockey a little bit more, you know, less so when it comes to this uh, Stanley Cup final, though. I mean, the under is pretty interesting tonight. But if you're going to give me a five in hockey, like I'm going to take the over. If you're going to give me a two in soccer, I'm going to take the over. So I do that. Denmark scores twice in the first half, and you go, okay, at least we're you know, at least we're pushing that at the very least, and we get a free roll for the second half. And then the Czech Republic get a goal early on. And so, you know, when you bet a draw, which was the other element that we had in this uh, in this game, you know, how do you want that to look, right? Do you want it to be just 0-0 the entire game, and you're just sitting on the edge of your seat, like, dying about whether or not, you know, somebody's going to score, and when they do, it's going to feel like a catastrophe because this game is really low scoring? Or would you like, you know, if you could draw it up, obviously you wouldn't want this to start the game, but you, would you want a 2 nothing lead and then the team trying to come back, they score a goal early on in the second half. And so now you've got this team that is obviously motivated to score down 2-1. to one. They've got plenty of time to do it. They have a little momentum on their hands. They certainly had a couple more opportunities. Like when you're betting a draw, that's kind of what you want, right? You want to see that teams can score, right? So obviously both teams had scored at that point. But you would also like some momentum going your way and being able to sort of cheer for one side instead of just sitting on your hands and hoping nothing happens. Because even though hoping nothing happens isn't the worst thing ever when it comes to soccer, you still just rather not have to just cheer for nothing because that just kind of sucks. And then finally, you know, we talked about it on the show the other day. Friday about how Ukraine sucks like glad that they won uh, glad that they beat Sweden that was a very exciting result having watched much of the Ukraine here because they were our sleeper team to make the semifinals you know we knew we knew that that team was pretty brutal so not remotely surprised that they get absolutely <clears throat> dump trucked by England in that game um, you know England they're the best they've looked, but how do we know, right? And so when it comes to these futures, you know, we get sort of saddled, if you will, with the Ukraine in that. And again, it was just a little plus 750 bet, you know, before this, the tournament starts. I keep wanting to call the tournament a series, by the way, if you haven't noticed. It's like me calling Denmark Denver, which I didn't do already, by the way, which is, you know, I'm really proud of. Um, but when you go into these into these tournaments and you're trying to bet futures and we don't have like a true bracket and we don't really know, you know, before a group, stage play here goes down you're like okay i mean i'm gonna take plus 750 on the ukraine but like before the tournament was the ukraine any more or less likely than denmark to make the semifinals but like denmark gets the route right and of course obviously part of that is the group that they were in and all of that sort of thing but it's kind of an impossible task to predict like oh denmark's going to have this route where they face the czech republic Right. I forget off the top of my head. I believe it was Wales. Right. In the uh, in the round of 16. And it's like if the Ukraine had Wales in the Czech Republic, too, or teams of that ilk, like they'd probably be in really good shape, too. They would at least have much more of an opportunity to make the semifinals. Right. And it's a little bit, you know, it could have easily been Germany. Right. Mueller scores that goal. You know, if he scores that goal or if he converts that chance, I should say. You know, that's 1-1 against England in the second half. And who knows what happens after that, right? And so that's sort of the razor's edge that we're dealing with here, where it's like, this could be Germany with not a walkthrough by any means, because Denmark's clearly shown that they're a really good team, even without Christian Eriksen. But, 
you know, again, it, it just sort of, you know, you get certain bounces the way you get certain bounces here. And we've seen Italy with our futures here. And like they've had to go through some legitimate teams here and now have to deal with Spain going forward. So those games go Tuesday. That's the Italy game on Tuesday. And then Wednesday is the England game. That's how we are referring to them. Um, because even though Spain obviously has a significant following and Denmark's a great story, I think everybody's just kind of hoping Italy and England end up being the matchup here. Doesn't that kind of feel like the way it should go? So we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. That's a wrap for this one tomorrow. Stanley Cup Game 4 review. NBA Finals. We'll get a little bit more in-depth with regards to what we're betting there. Euro 2020 as well. Until then, I'll see you at the window. 